The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The 2017 NASCAR season is in the rearview mirror. Martin Truex Jr., a popular and deserving champion. Now, I hate to jump too far out, but what lies ahead in 2018? Plenty of new faces in new places as some big-name drivers depart. There are new rules changes and schedule moves. And in case you are keeping track, the Daytona 500 is just 83 days away. We will talk about all of it next on NASCAR America. No rest for the weary. Yes, it is November. The season ended exactly eight days ago, and we are talking 2018. What's eight wrong with ago. us? I don't know. Crazy. Oh, yeah, that's. we have a whole hour. We can yes. say a lot what's wrong with us. Chris Savota alongside Kyle Petty, and from NBC Charlotte, our Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett and our crew chief Steve Letarte join us as well. Now, the season ends in Florida, begins in Florida. There are 40 weeks from start to finish, but only 13 weeks between Homestead and Daytona the next season. All sports need an off-season, but DJ, are there any other sports where the talk of the next season happens so quickly? I guess that's a lot of numbers she threw it out. <laughs> I, I, no, I don't really, Chris. I don't think that there is. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. I mean, people talk about this being uh, a sport that goes year-round almost. I think that after we get past this week, uh, that a few weeks are taken off. And I think that's why NASCAR moves so quickly with anything that may be looking uh, to make changes there because uh, things are going to kind of get uh, spread out and stop for a little bit. But it doesn't stop for long. Too. As far as the crews go, uh, it, you have to get back to work and be at work, get ready for Daytona. Well, the moving parts. There are so many moving parts to these race teams. So as a crew chief, not only do you have to worry about the equipment, the cars and the trucks and everything it takes to run a 36 race schedule, but also the personnel yeah. and those personnel decisions for some of the teams, the ones that didn't make the playoffs, they started maybe 10 or 12 weeks ago, but for the teams that have continued on through the playoffs and battled all the way through Miami for a shot of the championship, their off season truly did start the Monday after Miami. So, uh, would you say 83 days to Daytona? That mess doesn't leave a lot of room for rest. Yeah, there, there is no room. And we talk about it all the time, this being a team sport. But the only member of the team that gets an opportunity to take a few days off appears to be the drivers. Uh, because those guys go back to the shop from, from Miami and bust their rear ends getting ready. And that's why we talk so much about the following year. We've been talking 2018 for the last three or four months, it seems like, with drivers and different things that have come about because there is not, there is no off-season where you have enough time to cut those deals and make those deals work and make the business side of the sport work in a 45-day period. It has to be a little bit longer than that to replace those sponsors uh, and uh, to replace those drivers. Everybody always working ahead. Well, the yes. face or rather faces of NASCAR are changing. Think of the big names who have exited the sport in the last few years. Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Carl Edwards. They got the exodus started. Now, this year, Dale Earnhardt Jr., after 18 full seasons, is stepping aside and will join us here at NBC Sports. Alex Bowman will replace him in the 88 car. Also at Hendrick Motorsports, Casey Kane, moving on. William Byron, still two days short of his 20th birthday, is in. 
Matt Kenseth is leaving Joe Gibbs Racing and the 20 team. As of now, Kenseth is without a ride. Eric Jones moves over from Furniture Row to take his seat in the 20. Danica Patrick is leaving Stuart Haas and the 10 car. Eric Almarola will replace her. Almarola leaves Richard Petty Motorsports and the iconic 43, replaced by Bubba Wallace. Who? Okay, Kyle, this is a topic you have discussed before, <laughs> kind of the cycle oh. of driver changes. Where would you like to take it today? Well, I, I think you end that little piece you did right there with, and a partridge mm -hmm. and a pear. It's, it's, it's like season, the 12 yeah. days of Christmas, it seems like, with everybody switching. But I, I think the way I look at it, and I, I get a lot of this on Twitter, you get a lot of mm -hmm. questions. You know, all the superstars are retiring. All the superstars are going away in the sport. Between 88 and 92 or 3, Richard Petty, David Pearson, Kel Yarborough, Bobby and Donnie Allison, uh, so many people, so many great champions disappeared. So many wins walked out. This year alone, when Jeff or when, when Matt Kenseth and Dale Jr. leave, 60-plus wins wow. walked out the door. Uh, so when you start looking at it, you've got Jimmy Johnson with seven championships, and then, oh, yeah, everybody else has one. Oh, yeah, everybody else has 30 or 40 wins. And then the superstars that we know are going to be a part of the sport all have one win, four wins. Joey Logano is the only guy with 18 wins who's kind of leading that young, that young charge. So I, I think when you look at it, it's just the cycle of the sport, and it will play itself out. And in a few years, we won't be talking about Kevin Harvick. We won't be talking about... Uh, Ryan Newman. We won't be talking about Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon, except for what they did for the sport. But not that we miss them. We appreciate what they did for the sport. But now we have Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, Eric Jones, guys like that. Yeah, I think it's a cycle that it, it comes along in all sports. But that, that was well put, Kyle, and thinking about, yeah, we've had great champions that have left here. Uh, but you look at the NFL, and you know, I think that the good thing about our sport is most of the time we get to see our top drivers uh, perform for a long period of time and, and maybe longer than most other sports. So that's a, a good thing. Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning may be the exceptions of quarterbacks that uh, have won Super Bowls that continued on for 18-plus years right. in doing their job. But we generally get to see drivers uh, get close to 20 years uh, at the top of their, their sport. So it's a good thing. And, and the sport is not going away by any means, as Kyle just pointed out. You know, this is uh, – Things that have happened over the years, but it seems like right now, over the last three years, we, we've lost a lot of the faces. But I'm really looking forward to the these young new drivers that we have coming on and who's going to kind of take the sport and run with it now. And I think it's more than just who's going to win races, but what are the races going to look like? And I think the format change with stages this year has changed how the competitors have to race within the format. The playoff format changed how the competitors have to race. The Denny Hamlin-Chase Elliott scuffle at both Martinsville at Phoenix, I believe, is directly because of the format. I don't think those two race like that if it was back 10 or 15 years ago. So also, when you take out the veterans that have a certain way to race on the track and you replace those with very young, you mentioned it, Kyle, one, two, four race winners. Mm -hmm. I think the way that the races go down and how the competitors attack each other on the racetrack is going to change as well. So it's not to me, Kyle, it's not just who's going to win these races, but how they're going to win these races. What moves have now become acceptable? What level of aggression is now acceptable? And I think we learned this year that that is a moving target every race, if not every year. Yeah, and that is, that's a great point. And, and I'll throw this back to, to you guys down there because I, I think what we get into is, I want, I want you to think about it. We, we think about Jeff Gordon coming in um, in, in 92, 
uh, as my dad goes out, we think about Dell Sr. and what coming in in the late 70s. And the sport he knew compared to the sport Jeff knew compared to the sport Jimmy Johnson came into and how the chase slash playoffs slash championship has changed in Jimmy Johnson's lifetime. Think about this. Daniel Suarez and Eric Jones, in their first season, it was segment racing. Mm -hmm. Okay? They've never known a full 500-mile race that they had to go run a season in the World 600 or the Coca-Cola 600 or the Daytona 500 without segments when you look at it. They didn't know that season. So they're going off in a totally different direction. So how will they develop as race car drivers? How will they change? Will the races be as long as they are in another five or six years? How will the sport change? This group is kind of like when I look back and, and you look back at kids that were born in the 80s and 90s. They never knew a time when you couldn't make a phone call from a car. Right. Okay. They, they don't remember pay phones. I remember pay phones, babe. <laughs> Believe me. I called many a pay phone from a jail somewhere trying to get bailed out. So I remember pay phones. But the world is changing and it's going to change, as, as Steve just said, it's going to be a totally different sport as we move forward. Well, and I think that the key is going to be what company or organization adapts to those young drivers. The expectations are going to change. When you were a driver, when I had Jeff Gordon as a driver, what you were expected to do during the week, I can assure you, is probably less than what is expected of Daniel Suarez or Eric Jones. So it's that mix, right? And I think that's why we're starting to see these older drivers retire. At what point does Denny Hamlin say, you know what, enough. Even though I'm young, I've won a lot of races. When does Kevin Harvick say, you know what, I've had success. I don't need to keep chasing the ball because that is the expectations. I mean, Eric Jones, he has yet to win a race. His desire is is at the top. He continues to do things to try to win races. Kyle Larson, even very early in his career, wants to win races. So when you talk about a talent like Eric Jones, I think he forces those veteran drivers to then reevaluate even how they prepare for the races. Yeah, I think that's the big difference is how you prepare for the races. And the other side of it is, well, you, you talk about William Byron. Here, he's just going to barely be 20 years old <laughs> as he gets in for his full, first full cup season. And so we're going to start seeing that number as when uh, these drivers start to retire. And think about that coming down even more because they. you talk about those 20 years. Well, at 20 and 21 years old, you barely make it to 40 years old uh, with these drivers. They make good money. Uh, they they kind of get satisfied with their uh, level of competition and having to have that so they can go on to something else for a better part of their life. But it is going to change. Uh, obviously, this format, the, the playoffs, the stage racing, all that, something's going to change there in the next five or six years anyway to make things totally different and how they adapt uh, to that uh, in a, a new and different way. But there's no doubt that the playing field has changed tremendously, and I think that's what a number of the veterans have a difficult time adapting to. Well, as technology or, or whatever has changed the way new drivers are found – That's what's eliminating old drivers. I mean, Dale Jr. perhaps raised his hand and said, hey, it's time for me to go. But Matt Kenseth has been vocal. He wants to drive. But there wasn't the opportunity at a top-level organization because of people like Eric Jones, people like Kyle Larson. So that's the question I have, Kyle. You know, DJ kind of touched on it right there, but is the 20-year driving career going to be shortened? Are we going to start to see 15, 12 10-year careers out of these top-level drivers. Yeah, I think so. I, I do believe that. And, and I think not only that, Steve, I, I think what we're going to see is uh, we see a Matt Kenseth who is still capable of winning races, I believe, uh, on, on a fairly consistent basis, but there's no seat for him, as Steve said. 
at the same time, I think we're going to see guys when they get in their mid-30s or early 30s, if they're not performing on a consistent basis, challenging for a championship on a consistent basis, I think an owner is going to say, well, you got four or five years left. I can put this kid in, and he's got 10 or 15. He's got a lot more blue sky, a lot more upside. So I think we're going to see established drivers at some point in time, Steve, forced out forced out of the sport because they peak at 28 or 29 and they have an eight-race win winning season or a nine-race winning season or they win a couple of championships and then, boom, all of a sudden they get to 33 or 34 and they go, you know, one for 36 or whatever the schedule may be at that time or they go 0 for 36. And an owner is going to look at them and say, hey, I need a young guy in here. And they're going to be forced out. So I think we're going to be like other sports where players – if you're not a superstar, you're going to get forced out. You've got to perform at that level all the time. And as they were talking there about Eric Jones, when you've got that young kid coming in with that desire, it's tough to hang on for a long time. So here's my question, and you guys talk about other sports. When we look at other sports, I want to know how our young drivers, these young drivers, how will they handle the spotlight when they're not in the shadow of a Matt Kenseth or Dale Earnhardt Jr.? You look at, you know, the you're talking Eric yeah. Jones. You know, nobody knew that who Tom Brady was until Drew Bledsoe we needed a Tom Brady. Yeah. See, I'm speaking in your language, Steve Letard. Yeah. I wanted to make okay. sure. You brought, it, you brought you know? it right back to something I could completely understand thank with you. the Patriots thank you. reference. You know, Cowboys fans want to <laughs> yeah. know, what do we do after Troy Aikman? Okay, yeah, there's sure we have Tony Romo. Now we have Dak Prescott. You know, there's, yeah. there's always someone waiting in the wings. But how do these drivers handle the spotlight and the pressure when there's not those veteran drivers who are, are basically not hogging it but taking it? Well, wins have to leave the series for young drivers to win, right? Yeah. I mean, the veterans, if they're still winning eight or ten races, then then there aren't the opportunity. I mean, I dream, this is an unpopular statement I'm getting ready to make, but I dream for the day where drivers will be decided by what they can do on the racetrack, not what decals they can put on the race car. Yeah. And right now, I'm not sure that's the case in a lot of situations. There are drivers who I will remain nameless so they can yeah. still talk to me on Sunday that, <laughs> that are in there because of the decals they can put on the hood. And I think, Kyle, to your point, as the crop of young drivers comes up, and to your point, Krista, and they can perform on the big stage. That's what we saw William Byron do. An epic battle between William Byron and Elliott Sadler, both very deserving champions, but what a battle we were privy to watch down there in Miami. How about Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr., two other drivers that put on the biggest stage and the biggest battle. So I think the fact that the Xfinity level is kind of setting that stage for these young drivers, they're going to be fine under the pressure. What I've learned about race car drivers is once they put a helmet on, they're a different breed. And the great ones, when they get behind the wheel... It doesn't matter if it's the first lap or last lap. The pressure really isn't anything. It's just they want to perform. I think that young drivers now, too, and young people in general, come out and face the world at a much younger age because of cell phones, of, of everything that, that they get into. Their life is basically out there for everybody to see. So they start learning to perform at a much younger age, and, and they're ready to handle this type of pressure, I believe. Well, and I feel like if you are so young that you don't know pay phones or roll-up windows— Windows. Good point. Just <laughs> now hold point. on, Krista. I've actually probably never oh. used a payphone. I've seen them, but oh, never had to use oh, one. Oh, 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 you've been to Waffle I'm, House. I know. Don't don't give me that. Yeah. Dude. When we go <laughs> to commercial, I'll explain it all to him. Thank yeah. you. Been around. Thank yeah. you. Hey, don't forget the season isn't over yet. This Thursday, NASCAR gets fancy. It's the champion celebration in Las Vegas. We'll bring you a two-hour red carpet special at 7 p.m. Eastern here on NBCSN. Then it's the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Awards Banquet. I'll be joined by Rutledge Wood, Marty Snyder and Kelly Stavist. A great night of celebration Thursday starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. Coming up, NASCAR has announced a series of rule changes for next season, including one that will have a big impact on pit road. We'll tell you what it means for teams next on NASCAR America.
Wednesday night, the puck drops for an Eastern Conference clash as Tampa Bay takes on Boston. Lightning Bruins Wednesday night, 7.30 Eastern, right here on NBCSN for Wednesday night rivalry. Last Wednesday, NASCAR announced it will standardize at-track team rosters across all three national series starting next season. As part of that, over-the-wall pit crew members will be reduced from six to five. NASCAR Executive Vice President Steve O'Donnell explained the changes. The ultimate goal here is to continue to put the best racing on the track, uh, to continue uh, towards that parity with more teams being able to win. We saw us put things together Really, last year with stages, the lower downforce package continued. The great tire that, that uh, Goodyear was able to pair up with that. And so we looked at other areas where we continue to, uh, to drive parity in the sport and, and give as many teams as possible the opportunity to win. And, and these two initiatives, um, with what we're doing on pit road, uh, by moving from six to five over the wall and, and only allowing the fuel person to just fuel uh, the vehicle, kind of fits in with where we're going. And in addition to having one less crew member go over the wall, the gas man for each crew will also be prohibited from other duties besides fueling during the pit stops. The at-track rosters will be split into three categories, organizational, road crew, and pit crew. The number of roster spots in each category will vary per series. Steve, got to start with you on this one. If you were still in your old job, what would you be doing to adjust to these changes and your thoughts on them now as Kyle laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> well, I think it's two separate conversations. The first conversation is the pit crew going from six to five. That's a fundamental shift. Uh, you could call it a roster. You could call it a bunch of different things. That is going to be very different than the roster in the garage area. So going from six to five, in my opinion, I'm not a fan. I don't like it. I liked um, pit stops better than when there were seven. I feel that while parity is the goal and while the rules should be in place to give every team the opportunity to go out and compete, I don't see how limiting the number that go over pit wall is, is helping this at all. Now, there's no argument on safety. Less people over pit wall is safer. Uh, I, I won't argue it. There's no argument for it. It's very simple. If something happens, less people is safer. But going from six to five and basically making the gas man only a gas man means that the other four have got to be the most elite athletes. They have to be the best of the best. And I don't think that creates parity. If anything, I think it's the opposite. DJ, I think that the biggest teams, the ones with the deepest pockets, the ones that can go get the best of the best of the best, the Tom Brady's of tire changers or Jackman, they will then have a distinct advantage. If anything, I think this separates the playing field more than it levels it. Yeah, there's, I can't add much to that other than, you know, I know that NASCAR tries to help the teams and the owners as much as they possibly can. But uh, this isn't an area. I think the pit stops are something. When we talk about wanting to see them perform at a high level, I think we see them whenever they're uh, they're just doing their jobs, where the, the tire changers only have to do that job. They have their carriers to put it on. I think that it just makes for a well-orchestrated pit stop and, and then having the opportunity to make an adjustment there. So I, I just see this as being... Uh, something that I'm not going to be a fan of. We'll see how it works out. NASCAR's done a lot of good things to enhance the competi competition over the years, but every time that we seem to be getting into a cost-saving mode, these owners are going to spend whatever it takes, and as you pointed out, it's probably going to drive up. Some people are probably going to make better money because of this, but uh, we'll see how it works out. I, I think limiting the number of total people that can come to the racetrack, that could possibly be something, but... We'll see how teams decide to get around that, especially the bigger organizations. Yeah, and, and Steve, can, again, can probably speak more to the organizational side of it, where, where they're limiting guys from that side. 
but I, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay on the pit crew and harp on the pit crew. I was on a five man pit crew. Okay, back in the '70s when I carried tires for my dad when I was 14 or 15, I carried two tires. You drop one at the front, one at the back, help the guy at the rear change, uh, go back and pick up the front tire. I was the guy that put wedge in the car. He had a jack man, two tire changes, gas man. That was it. Boom. End of the conversation. Later, they added a catch can man. Used to we just used to let the gas go everywhere. There's been lots of innovations on pit road, and almost always when a change is made on pit road, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but almost always when an, a change is made on pit road, it's for safety. You will never hear me argue about safety. Listen, I ran out on pit road at 14 years old with them coming down pit road at 130 or 40 miles an hour, coming in the pits and going out. That's not safe. In any game you play, that's not safe. But that was the 70s, and that was the game you were played. This is 2017, 2018. This is a game that's played. But the problem I have with this announcement is it's for parity. I might as well call it parity because we're making fun of it. Parity. It, it is to change the sport and to make it equal. We're dumbing the sport down. We're taking Hendrick Motorsports, Gibbs Racing, um, Richard Childress Racing, Stuart Haas, all these guys that work their rear ends off to develop guns, to develop things, to be better. Now we're saying, yeah, but that team over there, they can't do that. So guess what? You don't get to use it this week. So guess what, Steve Letart? Next time the Patriots play, if the other team's quarterback doesn't have the same quarterback rating as Brady, Brady doesn't get to play because we're just going to dumb the sport down so we play it to the lowest common denominator. That's my problem with parity. We should not have it. It's up to the teams. It's up to the teams to go out and know how to win, to work towards winning. It's not NASCAR's job. I do not feel, never have felt, to make me a winner. If I'm not a winner because I don't have the right people, if I'm not a winner because I don't have the right sponsors, if I can't get it done, then that's life, dude. I go out of business. That's life in the coffee business. That's life in the farm business. That's life in the grocery store business. It's not their job to equal the field. It's my job as an owner. It's my job as a driver. It's my job to put people in the right place to go win races. Hendrick has done that. Joe Gibbs has done that. Stuart Haas has done that. Roger Penske has done that. So let's, let's do this. Since they did their job, let's penalize them and bring, it, bring the sport down. Well, then you mentioned staying in business. So as we move off from the pit crews and look at the rosters, limiting the amount of people at the racetrack, I think, is a wonderful idea at the trucks and the Xfinity level. They are the entry level positions in NASCAR to work your way up to the cup level. Uh, it's a good way to try to put some parameters around the ex expected expenses. Um, and I think that's what those are about. I think spec engines, I think anywhere you can save money at the lower two tiers is a great place. But at the cup level, I think it's unneeded and I think it's unwarranted. I think that, as you said, money saved will just be spent elsewhere. I think it's up to the team owners to decide how much they want to spend it. To be quite honest, I think it's just going to end up costing more money because I already know of large organizations that are working on the size of their networks and their motorhomes and their compounds, and they're going to be talking to engineers back at the shop. So while they may look like they have less people at the racetrack, the amount of people working on those cars to go fast, DJ, I, I don't expect those numbers to go down at all. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see with that. I just know that whatever monies they have, uh, I like the idea that we're able to employ more people uh, in the sport and give people opportunities instead of cutting back on the people. I think there's other areas that money can be saved in if we want to do that. But, it, you know, having this great opportunity for people to get involved in our sport is somewhat being taken away. Well, and I'll say if this existed in 1996, I wouldn't sit here today. 
because my only chance was to go to the racetrack with Jeff Gordon as the helper. I didn't have a job, race, I did whatever Ray Abraham told me. Jason Burdett, a good friend yeah. of mine, worked on your team. Same opportunity. He's now a, a, a winning crew chief in the Xfinity level. There has to be a place for people to learn. And when we start limiting the roster slots, well, I mean, guess what? We're not going to bring beginner kids to, to yeah. the racetrack to learn because we can't afford it. These teams are going to have to bring the most experience. So there's a lot of levels that I'm not a big fan on rosters that uh, I just don't think it's the right move for the sport. But, hey, like you said, Kyle, it's NASCAR's job to make the rules, not mine. Those are my opinions. We'll sit back and see how they play out when we go to Daytona. Well, everyone in the NASCAR community is certainly paying attention. I know on social media, um, you talk about you as a, as a crew chief, Jason Burdett, uh, a winning crew chief. How about Rodney Childers, a championship yes. crew chief? I know right after the news came out, um, this is what Rodney had to say. And, you know, he said, I'm not sure how a championship crew chief wouldn't know this was coming or have an opinion on it. Um, so he was pretty at least heated in how the information, I think, came out. I think NASCAR may be kind of trying to sneak some of this out, um, you know, on a holiday weekend um, is possibly what was happening there. But going back to what to what you said, Kyle, on the on the you were a member yeah. of a five person pit crew. Yeah. Um, Austin Dillon actually put this on social media. He was watching um, some old footage and, and he thinks it's pretty cool. He said, uh. Yeah, it's awesome to see that. So I'm not saying it's not cool. That's it's not what not, I'm saying. Yeah. That Listen, if you want a two-man pit crew, I'm not saying it's not cool. I, what I'm saying is, why are we penalizing the teams that are winning races to run with the smaller teams? And that's what I'm saying. And as far as Rodney Childers, I guess they consulted the fan council and they didn't worry about anybody that works on cars <laughs> or does anything on race cars to, to consult with. And I hear you laughing, Dale. That's just the way I feel. <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing with you, buddy. I understand. <laughs> Yeah. How safe? You mentioned safety. What age did you get on a motorcycle for the first time? I was five when I got on a oh, motorcycle. Oh, that's pl safe. I can tell you some pit crew stories. It, NASCAR has done it, and I will say this: give them credit on pit road for making pit road light years safer than what it was in the '70s or '80s. I was there when guys got hurt, mm -hmm. serious injuries, fatalities. Pit Road is a much, much safer place for these guys, these athletes, to go out on and perform. Yeah, it really wasn't that long ago that guys were going over the wall without helmets. I mean, yeah. the helmets was really just implemented not that long ago, too. So, yeah, the safety obviously is on the forefront. Um, it's just a topic here that we're able to discuss because this news came out just in the past week. So, coming up, how about some more news? The 60th running of the Daytona 500, less than three months away, we'll discuss how the 2018 rules package could affect the great American race. That conversation is straight ahead. We're going racing at Daytona. Two laps to go. Walk inside the 42. It's right there. Look at this side. Inside, 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 inside. Kyle Larson to the lead. Larson is out of gas. Kurt Busch leads the Daytona 500. He's never won before at Daytona. A former series champion. He will fix that today. <laughs> Winning the 59th edition of the Great American Race. Can we just do that? <laughs> I can't believe it. I love you guys. Thank you. That's how the 2017 season started. Ironically, 41 weeks ago, Ooh. if my math is correct, Kurt Busch driving the number 41, winning the Daytona 500. Now, next season, the Monster Energy Series returns to Daytona with a new rules package. Overall downforce on the cars will again be reduced, not as much as in recent seasons. The ride height rule will also be eliminated for races at Daytona and Talladega. So let's start a conversation on this. Dale, you won the Daytona 500 three times. How do these rule changes affect what we'll see in February? 
you know, I, I think by what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that it's going to put some things back into the driver's hands a little bit more. And I like that idea. Uh, when you make the cars harder to drive, it, it really impacts the decisions that drivers make and, and working extremely hard. It's never been easy, uh, but I think because the cars drove so good, everybody had the same spring, same shocks, everything in the rear of the car that it was just then uh, about learning the draft. Now it's going to be back to where they can make some changes and make it driver-specific as to how they want their car to drive and handle. Should make it more entertaining, I would think, if we can get much more than what we've had. Well, you said the magic word to me, which is changes. I think as a crew chief heading into Daytona, there are at least questions I don't have an answer to. I, I'm not sure that has happened for the last five or six years. Not much has changed. And we're not talking about the downforce or the power or things like that. There are so many just nuances, detail rules that as a fan, you don't need to understand. But so much of the setup was dictated by NASCAR, and it had to be because the way it evolved over time. Well, now that their inspection process at the non-speedway tracks is so rigorous when it comes to suspension items, they can just carry that over to Daytona. I think it's going to be good. You know what we're actually going to see, Kyle, is I actually think we might see cars... Practicing in Daytona. What a concept. <laughs> Practicing instead of sitting in the garage. Hallelujah. That's all I got to say. Okay. And, I, and I'm going to say, as much as I was against the other rule, I'm for this. As Dale said, puts it back in the driver's hands, puts it back in the crew chief's hands. Uh, we talked about parity in the last one. We talked about common shocks, common springs, common gears, common things like that. The way these cars had the rules they had to run over in the past and run under in the past, they were more equal. This will separate them and put them back in the driver's hands, back in the crew chief's hands. How much can you stand? How much are you willing to gamble? How far are you willing to go and still make the car drive good? So I, I do like this rule. I can't believe 60th running, the 60th anniversary of the Daytona 500 coming up in February. Of course, the Daytona 500, an event in and of itself, but it also begins the race to Miami. And that race is going to look different in 2018. Yeah, we're still talking changes. That's our theme today. Several changes to the schedule. We'll review those when NASCAR America returns. All rise for Premier League mornings Saturday at 1230 on NBC. Manchester United visit the Emirates to take on Arsenal, but first at 730 Eastern on NBCSN. Defending champions Chelsea host Newcastle. Time to make a social pit stop. Did you know Pop Pop is now a great grand Pop Pop? It's going to be a very Merry Christmas for Ty Dillon. Ty and his wife Haley announced the birth of their first child earlier this week, a daughter named Oakley Ray. And as Ty enters fatherhood, he also enters a new partnership on the track. Jermaine Racing announcing today that Matt Borland will be Ty's crew chief, effective immediately as part of a multi-year agreement. Borland has 13 wins as a crew chief in the Cup Series. On Thanksgiving night, Truck Series champion Christopher Bell narrowly held off Cup Series star Kyle Larson for the win in the Turkey Night Grand Prix midget race out at Ventura Raceway in California. Bell later tweeted, anytime you can go wheel to wheel with Larson, it's going to be fun. And last but not least, Tony Stewart is getting married. You heard that right. Stewart proposed to girlfriend Penelope Jimenez over the holiday and later tweeted a photo of the engagement ring with the message, she said yes. So see, smoke and Prince Harry. There you go. When it comes to <laughs> wedding planning, you can take that was a poll. Good. Yeah. Most of those in the NASCAR community have anniversaries in December or January. Now, that's probably not going to change. But if you're the type who remembers birthdays based on the NASCAR schedule, you might be in, yeah, trouble. You're in trouble. Chicagoland, no longer be a playoff race. It will be a regular season race in July. The Brickyard 400 will be the final regular season race. Las Vegas adds a second event, and that will open the playoffs. Richmond gets a playoff race in the round of 16, and Charlotte on the Roval moves to the round of 16, while Dover 
becomes a round of 12 playoff event. Okay, if everyone was following at home, but we're serious. I mean, when you plan everything around that schedule, Kyle, which move is the most significant? Or should I say, which week should we assume your travel will be messed up because you booked a ticket to the wrong city? Every week. Okay. Um, listen, <laughs> they've changed this stuff around so much for me. I'm lost on it. <laughs> I, I, and, and I like that they're willing to move things around. I like it for the fan base as much as anything else. I know that we've had certain races that have been cutoff races, certain races that have been the last race of the season, uh, regular season. I, I will say this straight up. I don't like Indianapolis being the last race of the regular season because – when we went to Richmond, there was so much excitement going into Richmond, so much that a driver felt like they could do. I could make up five or six points. I can win this race. I can go there. Indy is just not that kind of race. It's just not proved to be that kind of race in all the years we've gone up there. It is a big event. Is it not Dale Jarrett? It's an event. <laughs> but it is not the race that I want to see as the final season race because you almost go into that and say, well, I'm fifth in points or I'm tenth in points. It's going to be tough to make up points here today. It, it is just really hard, and it's going to be tough to go there and win. We saw how the race played out last year. So uh, I'm not a huge fan of that. But anytime any of the other changes, I, I am a big fan of mixing it up. I will. I have to admit that. So it doesn't happen often, but KP and I are completely at odds on this one. So okay. I think Indianapolis is the final race of the regular season as a spectacular place to move it. I think it gets it out of the heat of the summer for the fan base. The turnout has been relatively low for the facility. I think some of that is because of the timing of the year. And also, as so I'm the crew chief. He's the driver. He likes a short track because he can drive it differently. But there's not a lot of opportunity for a crew chief at Richmond to do much with your strategy because tires are so important. Well, now we've come to the Brickyard, a large facility, two-and-a-half-mile racetrack where I don't lose a lap. When I come to Pitt Road, that opens up a ton of different pit options. I think it creates the opportunity, maybe not for a surprise winner. I'll agree with KP on that one. But definitely for a surprise front runner, someone to go run in the top three, four, or five and maybe gain enough points to move through between stages and a 400-mile race. I think the Brickyard being the season finale or the regular season finale has a lot of opportunity. So... I'll have to say that at the beginning when I first saw this, I was on KP's side, that I didn't like Indy in that spot. But Come after, me. Yeah, but not necessarily <laughs> for your explanation here. It was mainly because of what we saw in the very last race there with Casey Kane going there and winning. So you can have a surprise winner at the racetrack. It takes circumstances, but we saw a lot of action, a lot of things happening. So I'm going to give it this chance to, and see exactly what happens. I, I like the idea, too, that we're switching around. I think we need to get more different tracks into the, the playoff mix in those 10 races myself through the years. Yeah, I'm out here on this island by myself, but let me say this, Steve. You've only got five crewmen next year. You're going to get your butt laughed at Indy if you got a pit on the green, okay? Sorry, dude. Don't worry, KP. I'll have the best. They'll get it done just as fast. Yeah, you'll pay them too, right? So we know Team Charlotte is a, is a fan of the Brickyard in September. Steve, what do you think about the playoff schedule? Let's go into, okay, that takes care of the regular season. Let's go into the playoffs. Well, I think the playoff has a great mix of old and new. And what I mean by that is let's start at the end and look at the old. The championships will still be divide, uh, decided in Miami. A wonderful mile and a half. We see great racing. I like the round of eight. Paperclip, mile and a half, crazy one mile. A lot of change in the round or a lot of variety in the round of eight. The round of 12 has that mix that's a little bit different. Talladega, Dover adding. And I think the round of 16 now has a fun short track has a mile and a half, and then has the Roval. And while there are a split on the fan base of who likes the Roval and who doesn't, I'm not going to ask DJ his opinion. I know where he stands. <laughs> I do think the round of 16 is the right place for this experiment. Make it very early in the playoffs, because DJ, in my opinion, if a team gets knocked out because of something at the road course, 
yet they had all year to earn playoff points, all year to try to guarantee them a spot out of the first round. I'm going to struggle to point to one race at a road course at Charlotte to be the difference maker, and I think the fan base in Charlotte deserves something different, and that's yeah. what they're going to get with the Roval. Yeah, they're going to get that. I'm really intrigued by that round of 16 with Vegas at the mile and a half, going to Richmond, the short track race where anything can happen, and then who knows what's going to happen at Charlotte. I don't know. It's going to be a novelty, so I'm going to buy into the fact that don't criticize it too much until I see exactly what happens here. So uh, we'll see what goes on. That being the cut race, that's going to be extremely interesting. So, uh, um, I, again, I like the schedule and switching things up. Yeah, and, and look, I like Miami. I like the round of, of, of eight. I like the round of 12. The round of 16 needed some something. Uh, to make it happen. I, I like Talladega being the second race because you could go to Kansas uh, and still recover if you had a bad Talladega. So the round of 12, I really like that. M that round of eight this year was an intense round. When we go back and look at Martinsville, Texas, where the Harvick went in there, and then all the pressure of going to Phoenix, that's an intense round. But they needed to do something to, to the round of 16. I am taking the same attitude that they are. I, I was not for it when they came out with the Roval. Um, it's either a road course or it's an oval. Sorry, that's just the way it is for me. Uh, this is a manufactured road course, but it's something different. And, and in the spirit of moving the sport forward and changing it and, and having an open mind about the sport and where it needs to go, I think this is an opportunity, an opportunity that Marcus Smith has embraced, that these guys at the Speedway have embraced uh, and can do big things with. So whether it's the third race in that section or in that, in that round or whether they move it to the second one at some point in time or the first race in that round, they're, they can still adjust, but I'm, I am going to hold withhold until I see that first race come off. And the good news for booking travel, that last race or round of 16, all we have to do, Steve Dale, we just have to call Kyle and say, don't get on a plane. Yes. We're staying in yeah. Charlotte there for that last race. And that's good news for you, Steve, because that means you won't have to catch a ride home. <laughs> that's right. That's, that was a little bit of an issue, so I'm glad we're <laughs> a little closer to home this year. All right, coming up, William Byron reflects on this year's Xfinity Series Championship. We'll examine his title-winning season and his upcoming debut in the Cup Series. That's next on NASCAR America. Byron, the 19-year-old rookie phenom whose racing career started on a computer. William Byron is Xfinity Series Champion. Thank you guys! Awesome job! Awesome job all year. I can't believe it. Wow. How did you find another gear though to pass your teammate Elliot Sadler? I don't know. I don't think I breathed <laughs> the last 20 laps. That was incredible. This is awesome, man. For just the second time ever, the Xfinity Series title was won by a rookie. William Byron joined Chase Elliott in that category. Ironically, Byron will drive the number 24 in the Cup Series next year as Chase changes over to the number 9. Just the next step for Byron, the race car driving college kid from Charlotte, North Carolina. So I'm um, excited for William and his future. He drove like a veteran all year, much less tonight. So he deserves a lot of credit. Dave and the guys give him a great race car. It's incredible to, to race for him and, and Mr. Hendrick and everyone that's given me this chance. It's, uh, it's really cool to bring them a championship and um, to see the effort that's went into this year uh, to get me in a car. and and just to see where the future lies. And I, I'm so speechless for everything that's happened over the last year and a half. And uh, it's been incredible. So young. He won't be a teenager much longer. Byron turns 20 on Wednesday. Steve, you know a little something about starting in the sport at a young age. Of course, Byron drives for Dale Earnhardt Jr., as we heard there. Um, 
Talk about what he accomplished and just the spotlight, not only that he's under, but how bright it will be next year, too. Well, his, his talent's remarkable. Uh, uh, he was one broken engine at Phoenix away from winning a truck championship, bounced back a year later, and won the Xfinity Series championship. So I have zero concern about his talent moving to the premier level, to the cup level. But I will say that he is such a well-mannered, well-spoken young man, a teenager, that luckily he drives a little rougher than he looks outside of a race car. But I, I hope that Hendrick Motorsports, Jimmy Johnson, and his teammates over there, kind of toughen them up a little over the offseason because when they drop the green at the cup level, it's way different than the Xfinity level. He's going to have a great career, but it's going to be a, um, I don't want to call it rough, but it's going to be a rough and tumble first <laughs> few weeks there in the cup series, I have a feeling. Yeah, I think he, he explained and described his career, his last season as incredible, and, and it's been amazing to watch so far. He's just so very talented, and, and I think that's the one thing that I look at, Steve, that he's going to have to to probably get a little tougher inside that race car, but that comes with maturity, and we'll see that, uh, but he's going to be right there in the mix, and it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's phenomenal to see the progress that he's made, and just a very short period of time and win the big races, win on, at Daytona, win in Indianapolis, win a championship. Uh, Rick Hendrick just has that way of about every 10 or 15 years just sprinkling pixie dust on somebody <laughs> and saying, you're my guy, and this is the latest one, and I don't see anything but an incredible future for this kid. And if you'd like to hear more of that interview with Dale Earnhardt Jr., William Byron, you will hear the full version of that on tomorrow's show. Well, coming up, we're going to preview Champions Week, which gets underway tomorrow in Las Vegas. We will highlight some of the key events that lead up to Thursday night's Monster Energy Cup Series Awards. That's straight ahead on NASCAR America. NASCAR America is brought to you by the Salvation Army, doing the most good. Well, actually... This ain't going to be good. One, two, three. I'm going to shut it down right there. Came back. 32, 33. Kyle, I'm going to take your role in this show, just so you know. I mean, I've watched enough cop shows. If you ask me one question that's going in a different direction, I'm going to say, I need an attorney. Okay, Dad. Okay. Because stuff goes down at the motel. I don't know why that hadn't hit me till now. Our off-season is so short that I quit to go to TV so I'd have a longer off-season. Hey, I don't know who's listening here, but if you want to fire me and pay me around $60 million, I'll go. So there's the 30 seconds, basically, before we came on air. So let me do, we got, we got, we got live PD and all the SEC fired college football coaches in that conversation, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have y'all met, I, I'm his new uh, talent agent right here. <laughs> yes. At 60 million, I think that uh, yeah. we get one contract, I'm good to go from one. there. Now we know yeah. why Dale was agreeing with Steve on the Indy. Yeah, everything. On the Indy yes. That's good. He got $60 million and I'm going live on a cop show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs> now we have to start paying attention whenever we're actually not working. I know. Yeah, I, I, know. Know. I know. That's what made me nervous. I'm like, wait a minute. What did we say before this show came on? Uh, okay, back to serious. But I guess you could call this serious. It's going to yes. be a lot of fun. This Thursday, we'll put a cap on the 2017 season with the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Awards. Coverage begins with the Red Carpet Show featuring those being honored along with celebrities and some of NASCAR's biggest personalities. That's Thursday at 7 Eastern right here on NBCSN. Of course, that is just one of the several events which highlight Champions Week in Las Vegas. Tomorrow night, NASCAR honors Dale Earnhardt Jr. Then on Wednesday, it's the annual Myers Brothers Award Luncheon. Cole Pern, that's his day to shine, followed by a very special after the lap, which benefits the Vegas Strong Fund. Always a good time. I know, Kyle, you'll be here in the studio. we got the red carpet show. So, 
a yes. lot of stuff going on. Yes, I'm, I'm, it's my job to sit here and make fun of what everybody wears. So, um, <laughs> wait, I'm out in Vegas. Yes, so be careful on what you wear. <laughs> I, I, don't, I would turn <laughs> she to can't even follow that one. Help, but I know no one's going to help me. Now I'm the one on the island. It, yeah. I, what do you want me to say? Listen, it, it is. I, I will say this. NASCAR has done a tremendous job, and the entire community has done a tremendous job of making our banquet something special to honor our champion and to honor Martin Truex this year uh, and Dale Jr.'s last year. There's going to be events for him, Cole Pern, uh, things that. But then turning it into a, a little bit of a charity thing with After the Lap yeah. for all that's gone on in Vegas, all yep. that that community has gone through. I know Kurt Busch is doing a go-kart race and doing some special stuff out there. So that is that epitomizes what the NASCAR community does. We're going to celebrate our year, but at the same time, we're helping other people and doing some different things too. Yeah, I think one thing that's changed uh, with it moving to Las Vegas is the opportunity for the fans to become a bigger part of it. Uh, it was great whenever it was in New York, but there was just limited space there. And Vegas is equipped to handle all the fans that come out. And I think they've really enjoyed being more a part of it, even actually getting to go to the banquet itself. And my favorite part of all of Bank Banquet Week is the Myers Brothers Luncheon. Used to be a breakfast. Nobody had a chance to make that one. Luncheon was better uh, for two reasons. The Crew Chief Award is given out, and Cole Pern, I can't wait to hear his speech. Not a guy you hear talk a lot in the media. And the Myers Brother Award that is given at the end of that luncheon to someone special in the industry. You never know who it's going to be. There's always great stories that come out of that luncheon. Yeah, and the recipient of that award is always sort of awestruck. The fact yes. that the, the peers and colleagues would, would vote for him or her. Um, of course, you mentioned Dale Earnhardt Jr., um, you know, NASCAR's most popular driver for, what, the last 14 seasons. Oh, really? Big question mark. Will he win it again? You just have to wait. And speaking, it is really all about Martin Truex Jr. and yes. that team, Barney Visser, Furniture Row. Um, just moments ago, I think we actually have a, a live picture, a live image, uh, Martin Truex with the mayor of Denver, uh, Michael Hancock, um, was taking place out in Denver. So a, a special trip. I don't know if we have that. If we Oh, take a listen. We're going to go ahead and, and throw that to you now. And then we got your crew shirt. This makes you an official Furniture Row Racing oh. Team member. So the mayor of Denver for once. That team doesn't have to travel all the way across the country. They get to go from Denver to Las Vegas. Yes, and they changed the, the rule. Next year, five pit crew guys and, and a mayor, if you can get a mayor on your team. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Dale, that's all for NASCAR America. We will see you again Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for watching. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.